Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Well, this was a week full of venom and poison. Uh, it began with our President Donald Trump while he was in Paris. He was there for two reasons the 100th commemoration of Armistice Day, which ended World War One, and also uh, the leaders of the free world were having a three-day peace form following uh, the commemoration services, and he wasn't going to be there, though. He announced to the world beforehand he could only stay for two days. He didn't give a reason why. He was not attending the peace forum. Of course, at the peace forum, they were going to be talking about various ways to defend Europe because they no longer can depend on the United States. And the Europeans uh, were also going to, to discuss climate change, two items he does not agree with. Uh, so uh, he was only there the first two days. Trump has learned nothing from the election results. It does now appear the Democrats, uh, you've got to say the Democrats won here. At first, I didn't think they were winning election night. But more and more, as these these votes keep getting counted, uh, the Democrats get more and more seats in the House of Representatives. They'll now have, uh, they'll have a plurality of 39. There'll be 39 more Democrats than Republicans. It's been a long time, my friends. Uh, but he has learned nothing that this was not a vote necessarily in support of the Democratic Party. It was a, a vote in opposition to Donald Trump's methods of running the government, plain and simple. No question about it. Trump himself said many times during the campaign, it's not a vote for your senator or your congressman, your representative. This election is a vote for me, whether you support me, whether you think I'm doing a good job. Now he can't take what happened, I don't think. Uh, He's learned nothing again from those election results. He's striking out. He's striking out in every direction wildly. Uh, I believe uh, he is, he feels the walls are closing in on him. The Mueller investigation is coming to a head, it appears. And I believe he senses the walls closing in on him and his family. And I, I can't blame him for being nervous, upset, uh, not very thoughtful, not clearly thinking under those circumstances. Now, let me continue with Trump here for a moment. Uh, what possesses this man? I've got to say this with all the respect. He's crazy. No question about it. He's gone. Uh, today, what did he do today? He tweeted. He tweeted several times about the armistice meeting commemorating the event in Paris and the Paris Peace Forum, uh, where he embarrassed himself big time this weekend, as we all know. He criticized uh, French President Macron today. He said, you know, what are you talking about having or putting together a a coalition, uh, a number of countries, uh, and forming your own NATO to defend Europe. Because, again, they, they, I can't blame these Europeans. They cannot depend on the United States. He keeps breaking treaties and everything else. Who can depend on the United States anymore? And he said in one of the tweets, you know, he says, here you are, you and Merkel, Germany and France, your friends, et cetera, et cetera. 
Who caused World Wars One and Two? Germany, Germany, and your kumbaya with them. Uh, he doesn't approve of that, of course. He says your solution, President Macron, is to pay your NATO bills. Then you can stay in NATO, even if. Everyone paid their bills up. Who the hell would want to stay in an organization that really is headed by the United States when you can't depend on the head of that country? Which now brings me to a former president that we could depend on and people loved, Ronald Reagan. On November 9th, 1987, 1987. Uh, it wasn't November 9th. It was sometime in November 1987. Ronald Reagan spoke before the Berlin Wall. And do you remember what he said? These words go down in history. Mr. Gorbachev, take down the wall. Mr. Gorbachev, take this wall down. That was 30 years ago. Uh, interesting story behind this. Presidents have speechwriters. Three or four weeks before the Berlin Wall speech, uh, Trump's speechwriters prepared a draft for him, and then they would submit him to, to him as president, uh, and he would make some notes, some changes, and he put in there right away the line, Mr. Gorbachev, take this wall down. Well, each time he put it in, the speechwriters would take it out, saying it's too strong. Uh, the people around him uh, in the West Wing said, you can't do this. It's too insulting to Russia, not the way to handle it. And he kept putting it back in. And this went on for three, four weeks, every other day. Finally, it's the day before he's leaving for Berlin. And he's talking to an assistant uh, in the Oval Office. And he's looking at the final draft of the speech. And again, the words, Mr. Gorbachev, take this wall down. We're not in the speech. And he said to his assistant, and I quote, he said, am I the president? The assistant said, and I quote, yes, sir. And the president said, and I quote, then I can keep it in. Keep it in. And he got up there and he said, Mr. Gorbachev, take this wall down. Two years later, that wall came tumbling down on November 9th, 1989. And I want to tell you something. I was absolutely impressed. Two things have impressed me in my lifetime, my 83 years so far. One was the Berlin Wall coming down. I never thought the Russians were going to take that thing down or anyone would take it down after it went up. Uh, this was serious business between the United States and Russia. And the other thing that impressed me was Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. Man on the moon, that blew my mind also. So one of the two biggies of my life occurred when that wall came down. Back in the 50s and the 60s, uh, we were in... Russia was a problem for us. Communism was a problem for us. And I remember these days. I'm in college. I am in law school. I am married. I have four children. I started my law practice. I bought a home. I had a mortgage. And we were always afraid that we were going to go to war any minute with Russia. No question about it. Any fears we have today about maybe going to war with North Korea, going to war with China, going to war with Russia, forget it. They're nothing. It's kid stuff. 
this was serious business that weighed on everyone's minds, okay? And everyone was afraid that somehow the communists were going to infiltrate this country and take over peacefully. You know, they sneak in they, like they hack, Russia hacks our, uh, our computers now, the, the elections. Well, we were afraid the communists were going to do something else. We didn't have computers like this back then. But they were going to sometime, somehow infiltrate and take over the thinking of the American people. A Mrs. White. She was a member of the Indiana Textbook Commission. Textbook Commission. You know, what should our kids read and not read? Uh, bad stuff to do, do that. Anyhow, she wanted, listen to this, all references to the book Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Taken from textbooks. She wanted Robin Hood removed from textbooks. Why did she want Robin Hood removed from any of the textbooks the kids were going to read in school? Robin Hood. Because he stood for robbing the rich and giving to the poor. Robbing the rich and giving to the poor. You have to understand that that was one of the lines communist Russia was promoting. They believed you rob from the rich and you give to the poor. It wasn't like the Russians are today where... where, uh, they, they really don't have that philosophy. They're a capitalistic society that calls themselves communistic. Anyhow, and uh, she said this was a communist line. It was a communist policy. And she was right, and it had to go. Any references to Robin Hood. She also didn't like the Quakers. And she didn't like the Quakers because Quakers don't believe in fighting wars, and we were on the verge of going to war every day, it seemed. This was a big-time Russian scare. This woman promoted it. It wasn't right. It didn't fly. But we were thinking about things like that back then. Soybeans. Big deal, soybeans. Um, Soybeans make a lot of money for a lot of farmers in this country. It's a major industry in some states. It's the major industry in some states. North Dakota is one of the biggest uh, exporters of soybeans. Most of our Midwestern states export, grow and export soybeans and corn and wheat, but soybeans is big stuff. And soybeans, big time, we ship for years to China. Okay, big time to China. Well, what's happened is this. Trump imposes the tariffs. He's got a 25% tariff on goods shipped from the United States to China. That means there is a 25% tariff on the soybeans going to China. Again, understand why soybeans are so important in China. China, they have, too, they have too many people in China. That's problem number one. Problem number two, they got to feed them. They need protein to stay healthy. And they don't have enough cows, et cetera, to kill them, and pigs, et cetera, to make protein. They buy soybeans. Soybeans, they crush them up. They cook them. They, everybody, everyone eats soybeans in China, okay? This gives them their protein. Well, with the 25% tariff on that, China is not buying Soybeans from the United States. They're not going to spend that kind of money. For some reason, Trump thinks that he puts this big tariff on, and he's going to scare. You can't scare Asians. You can't scare the people in China. You can't scare. Look at the Japanese. Uh, They weren't afraid of us. 
The only reason the war ended was because of the atomic bomb. Otherwise, 200,000 more American lives would have been lost because they would have fought to the death defending their islands. It was, the next place was the Japanese islands in, in the war against them. Uh, Look at the Vietnamese people. Did they lay down because the United States came over to fight to fight with them? No way. They fought us to the bitter end, and they beat the shit out of us, unfortunately. And look at the Koreans. They did the same thing. Did they back off when we went in to support South Korea? No way. You Asians will fight you to the bitter end. It's called saving face. If you beat them, they have lost face. They can't accept it, and they will fight, fight, fight till the bitter end. So China isn't going to put up with this crap for us. You put a 25% import, and we can't buy from you anymore. Let me tell you how bad it is. United States sales this year, in the, since the tariffs went into effect, are down 94%. Soybean sales to China are down 94% from last year's harvest. Now, you say, well, why did they even plant the soybeans if they knew there were going to be tariffs? That's the problem. The president didn't announce this crazy plan of tariff wars till after the, the plants, there was plant, the planting season started, after the seeds were in the ground for soybeans, for corn, for wheat, etc. So now these farmers are stuck. The stuff's going to grow. So what are the farmers doing here? First, let me tell you what they're doing in China. China says, okay, up yours. China's doing business now with Russia and Brazil. I love Putin. He always gets his nose in there every chance he gets. He's ready there to help people. And these contracts they're entering into are going to go on for 20 years. Just like us selling to China has gone on for so many years. Now that they have to make a new deal and find new farmers and have all these contracts, they're going to, they're going to stay with Russia. They're going to stay with Brazil. And they're probably getting a better price. We forget the tariff. Uh, what are the American farmers doing? We got, we got soybeans. We can't sell them. You, they don't rot, apparently, if you do it right. What many farmers are doing is they're taking them and putting them behind the barn and covering them with a tarp. Or they're finding caves. Believe it or not, they're looking for caves because the temperature in the caves are conducive to keeping the soybeans in good health. And they're putting the soybeans into these caves they are discovering now. Uh, these farmers, you know, they're going to lose money. Uh, you think that these are Midwestern states, normally Republican states. You think they're going to vote for Trump for president in 2020? No way. Right now, Trump's got told them, the farmers, don't worry. I've got $4.5 billion out of some program that they haven't used the money on. I will use this money to pay you what you would have gotten if you sold the soybeans. Well, there's not enough money there to cover all these farmers. And when it runs out, when it runs out, where, where are they going to get more money? Big question. Big question. So he did a good thing, Donald Trump, with soybeans. Isn't this wonderful 25% tariff uh, on China, on goods we ship to China, and all of a sudden, our farmers who raise soybeans and sell them to China, our sales are down 94% in less than one year. Trump did another interesting thing. He did it uh, this past week, I think, about a week ago. Friday, he did it last Friday, that's it. He did it last Friday. He signed a proclamation. First, let me say this to you. 
I think about what I am going to share with you. What president do you recall signed all these executive orders and all these proclamations and did business that way? I don't recall. I mean, they, they did executive orders. Obama did a lot of them because he couldn't get along with the, Demo- the Republicans, but not as many as Trump. Every time Trump was, wants to do something, he signs a piece of paper. He holds it up before the TV camera. What a good boy am I. You know, he's little Jack, whatever, Horner sitting in the corner. And uh, I don't know how many of these are really legal. Not many of them are tested. But this is what he does. Well, he issued a proclamation involving the migrants, okay, that are coming up from Honduras, Guatemala, and wherever else to the south, uh, southern United States borders. The proclamation suspends the entry of migrants through U.S. southern border points of entry, border points of entry, in a, for 90 days for those seeking Asylum, only asylum. Now, let me explain what's involved here. If you're coming to the United States seeking asylum, you're not jumping over a wall. You're you're not crashing through some barrier. You go to a port of entry. You go to a, a border city, and, you know, and the customs people are right there, and you go right up to them, and you say, my name is, and this is my family, and we are seeking asylum, and we're seeking asylum for this reason. We've got gangs that are killing us in Honduras, et cetera, things like that. And at that moment, a decision is made generally as to whether you should be considered for asylum. It, it, and the government signs a piece of paper saying we're going to enter you because anyone who seeks asylum who is escaping something bad and dangerous to them and their families, we take in. We want to take care of them. They are escaping evil. And they're permitted to enter the United States and live here. And then there are further hearings. Very few people are denied asylum because generally they have a legitimate reason which holds up. Well, that means now that people who are looking for asylum can't get in. I don't even know if this is legal because it's ingrained in our law. Those seeking asylum can get in if they go through the paperwork at the point of entry, and they generally do because it's that simple. And he's saying for 90 days, no one seeking asylum comes in except except for unaccompanied children. Isn't that wonderful? Unaccompanied children. And what's he going to do with them? He's going to put them in, these are concentration camps, these buildings, these tents that have been erected. We're taking care of the kids, we're feeding them. I don't know much what else we're doing about them because we're not told. Uh, He's enriching private corporations that have these quasi, that are operating in the quasi-military field by taking care of these children, erecting these tent cities and everything else. They're getting rich. but you can't do this with asylum people. We said he, they couldn't, he couldn't take children out of the arms of their mother, and he did. And he's doing something like that here. Not as bad, but the same thing. Rights groups in this country say it is grossly immoral and inhumane. Uh, now, it, it shows the meanness in the man. I've got to describe it that way. You've got to, you've got to call a spade a spade here, the meanness in the man. Uh, what, what amuses me is he already has 5,600 U.S. Army soldiers down there now guarding the border. He's got permission, if you recall, to send up to 15,000. He has 20,000 border guards down there, 
And the last we heard, and this was months ago, he had 2,000 Department of Homeland Security ICE personnel. Now, we don't know because we're not told how many ICE people are down there guarding the border also. This ICE thing bothers me. I've talked about it and written about it in the past year several times. Most people aren't paying attention to it. But ICE gets bigger and bigger. It's the military arm of Homeland Security. They are a police force. They are being compared. They are being compared to the Gestapo. Hitler created the Gestapo to be his private police force. ICE is Trump's private police force. This is not a healthy situation. Now, I want to talk about two men. Two men. uh, And it has to do with Armistice Day. Uh, Now, what what are we going to say here? Armistice Day, follow this, this is interesting. Armistice Day, World War I, ended in the 11th month, on the 11th day of that month, at 11 a.m. in the morning, 3-11th, the 11th month of 1918, at on the 11th day, and at 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, there was a commemorative ceremony uh, at the beginning of this Paris peace uh, meeting at a military base, uh, 50 miles, uh, an hour's drive outside of Paris, Trump didn't go because it was raining. Everyone else went. He couldn't get his helicopter to fly because of the rain. He didn't want to ride in a car. Everybody else went. All the leaders of the other nations went in the rain. And this was an American uh, Marine Cemetery. uh, And there were over 2,000 bodies there. They were our boys. And he didn't go because it was raining. So let me talk to you about Trump and someone else. And the someone else I want to speak to you about is Henry Nicholas Gunther. Henry was born on June 6, 1895 in Baltimore to German immigrant parents. He fought in World War I. He joined the 313th Infantry Regiment, known as Baltimore's Own, like the Fighting 69th out of New York City, uh, 169th rather. This was he, His group was named as named Baltimore's own. He arrived in France in July uh, 1918. He was involved on Armistice Day in the Battle of the Argonne. Armistice Day, November 11, 1918. He's in the Argonne fighting the Germans. It was just before 11 o'clock. They were going down a road, the American soldiers, and they ran into a German roadblock and they saw that the German roadblock was manned by a machine gun. Gunther's sergeant ordered him to fix his bayonet and charge the Germans. The Germans aren't even shooting, but it's there. We've got to get it out of the way. You go take it out, Gunther. Well, Gunther did his order, and the machine gun gave fire, and he was killed. He was killed at 10.59 a.m. that morning, one minute before the armistice went into effect. He was the last United States soldier to die in World War I. Understand that the armistice, this thing had been signed 5 o'clock that morning to go into effect at 11. Why they didn't make it immediately, I don't know. 
the Germans at the roadblock were aware of the armistice. They knew the war was going to be over in a matter of minutes. They're yelling at Gunther, there's no war, they're waving their arms, they're trying to stop him from coming on, but he's coming on shooting his gun. So what do they do? They shot him. And he died one minute before the armistice went into effect. He was the last American to die for his country in World War One, And he's an American hero. And he was an American hero who has been forgotten by history. Forgotten by history. At this point, let me interject. In World War One, they call it the Great War, the United States lost 116,708 of our American boys. Now, Gunther died that day. General Pershing, interestingly, the next day called him an American hero because he was the last American to die. Uh, but this is really a tale of two men because 100 years later, to the day, Trump, as I indicated earlier, is in Paris for the, these various meetings in the commemorative event. But Trump stayed in his embassy quarters, his room, uh, rather, go, rather than go to the Asnine Marine American Cemetery, where American soldiers who died during the Battle of Bell's Wood, one of the biggest uh, battles of World War I, and that's, there over 2,000 were interred. And the reason, again, that Trump did not go to honor his fallen countrymen because it was raining. Does it make sense to you? It doesn't make sense. Toilets. Toilets are a big deal, my friends. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Bill Gates, China, and toilets here. There was a meeting one week ago today in Beijing. It was called the Reinvented Toilet Expo. Reinvented Toilet Expo. Uh, new, incredible technology in the area of toilets were shown. Now, it so happens that... Uh, there are four and a half billion people in the world today that still practice open defecation, open defecation. They shouldn't piss in the streets, in the woods, the holes behind their house. The stuff gets into the water. They drink this water and get sick. They wash with this water. The kids play in the streets with shit and piss all over the place. Excuse the way I'm describing it, but that's it. The odor is overwhelming. And an example of how horrible this is, each year a half a million Children alone, kids under the age of five, die because of improper waste disposal. Now, what's, what's interesting about this whole thing is the toilet that you and I use, that toilet bowl and the system by which we got the, the pipes and the sewage lines and we dump it in oceans and rivers or we send it out to sanitation systems to be worked on, the same system that has been involved for a 100 years. A hundred years ago, they used the same type of toilet we use. You flush it, the water rushes in, throws it into a pipe. The pipes run under the ground. It goes somewhere to dispose of it, supposedly safe from the people. Those pipes have never been cleared, cleaned anywhere. They're rotting away. They're seeping. They're peeling. This crap's getting back into our water tables all over the world, okay? And something's got to be done. So Bill Gates. 
He invented the Internet. He, he's the founder of Microsoft. He's one of the wealthiest men in the world. He's interested in this problem, has been for a couple of years. He's already spent $200 million of his own money to study the waste disposal problem. Need new toilets. And he's gotten the United Nations to contribute money, other international companies to contribute money, uh, and this thing's coming to head where they now have designed new toilets. And these new toilets look like the toilets you and I are still using, but that's it. There's no pipes underneath going someplace else. The toilet bowl itself, is it looks the same, but it functions uh, with chemicals. And once you put the toilet seat down, uh, the, um, the cover, you put it down, the chemicals go to work immediately and turn, turn. This is amazing. You're not going to believe it. Turn up into drinking water, okay? To drinking water, water for cooking, water for washing. Bill Gates has drunk water out of these things. And uh, we're going to get new toilets in five to ten years. They're going to change the system. This has become extremely important worldwide. Uh, again, he's a very wealthy man, Bill Gates. He gave. He has contributed already $35 billion to charities all over the world. He is considered the greatest philanthropist, uh, the greatest giver to charity in the history of the world. That's my show for tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. I have more to talk about Jesus Christ Superstar next, but I'm not going to get it. Uh, thank you for joining me. Listen to me during the day on Facebook, Key West Lou Live, three or four minutes of something like this on one topic. My numbers get better. The people listening to the show get bigger and bigger every week. I thank you. I'm impressed. Irma and Me and The World Upside Down, two books I, I wrote. Consider buying them for Christmas for your friends. Cheap, good gift, though. Anyhow, thank you again for joining me. I look forward to being with you again next week. <laughs>